Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. That was a really loud intro, at least for me. I don't know if it was for you. Perfect volume for me. (laughs) Okay, I just, I realized that the top of this uh, allows me to adjust the volume of the can clips. Mm. And... um. I clicked toward the top, which made it really, really loud for me. <laughs> so, well, uh, as the intro said, welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I am your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by Mason Joseph. And um, today we are going to be continuing our examination of Pinot Grigio. And this is the one that I chose this week. And we'll get into this. And I will tell you, Mason, after doing a bunch of research of this, I am kind of confused now about Pinot Grigio and more so than last week Hmm. because this week we have uh, our featured Pinot Grigio is from Oregon and the and when I was looking up Oregon Pinot Grigio they give very different information than what I was presenting as the truth (laughs) last week so um okay We'll we'll get into that a little bit, but before we started the show, you were going to tell me a story about Cabernet Franc, which is one of my favorite um, grape varietals, probably my favorite grape varietal, and one that you enjoy quite a bit as well. And so I figured let's go ahead and get into that story real quick before we get into Pinot Grigio. So as you know, I went to the Eastern Shore a couple weeks ago, um, and there's there's supposed to be like multiple wineries on the Eastern Shore, but I only know of one that I can really find. And it's uh, church Creek by Chantham vineyards or Chantham vineyards. Um, so I got a bottle of their cab Franc. Now, much to my chagrin, it's not a pure cab Franc. It's uh, 20, 80% cab Franc, 17% Kevin, uh, 17% Kevin Cabernet Sauvignon and 3% pretty Bordeaux. And one of the things that kind of frustrates me about this vineyard is like their Merlot is, 88% Merlot and 12% Pretty Bordeaux. And then their Vintners blend. This is the one I, you know, I got you the winter blend from. Oh yeah. The, yeah. yeah. They've got, but like you can't get a bottle of Petit Bordeaux from them and you can't really get a bottle of Cab Saab from them. So, and for me, like if it's Cab Franc, I want it to be Cab Franc. So, but it's a, you know, they're probably an hour and a half from my house. Cause they're like 20 minutes from the campground. The campground's like, pretty much 50 minutes door to door. Yeah. Um, so, you know, went out there, um, got a bottle of their 2018 Cabernet Franc. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to open this in a couple of months and enjoy it. You know, just kind of like a winter a winter's wine is kind of my idea with it. Cause at the vineyard, it's a little rough, you know, you've been doing a sampling and like, I was the, my wife didn't go with me. So it's just me. So I'm kind of like, I guess I'm just going to drink these <laughs> shots of wine and get out of here. Cause like, I don't, you know, they've got a cheese plate, which I don't really want and right. didn't really have anything else to do. Cause it's COVID time. So no one's out there playing like cornhole or something where I could, you know, you know, try, yeah, try to join cornhole. in or something. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I'll find a way to join the game. If somebody's playing cornhole generally, right. <laughs> like I enjoy it. So I like, um, so my cousin came over, because uh, it was my uncle's birthday. So she and her uh, parents came down. Um, and so like kind of as a, hey, like not that you she wants to get away from her parents or like my uncle or anything like that, but it's like, hey, come over and have dinner with us. So we got, you know, uh, T-Bones 
Um, I was drinking some of the wine that we're going to talk about tonight. And then I was, and I said to my cousin, like, Hey, do you want a glass of wine with dinner? And she was like, I'd love a glass of wine with dinner. And I was like, okay. Um, I've got red, I've got white, I've got a rosé. I've got the rosé from uh, Church Creek or Chantham Vineyards, which I don't, I don't know what name they prefer. Um, we've got Porter, like, you know, what do you want? Um, and she's like, you know, whatever color wine you're going to drink. So I was like, okay, I'll open the cap trunk. And I opened the cap trunk and I opened it to like an hour beforehand. And that was the perfect amount of time for it to be opened. It had super good berry flavors. I mean, it was, it mellowed it out. Like it really, really took to being open. And I was like, I've been doing Cab Franc a super disservice by not opening these and not aerating them in some way. Um, you know, so it was just yeah, a fantastic bottle of wine. Um, if you go out to the vineyard, um, cause it's there, it's a state, so it's on like a um, working plantation farm. So like they're farming other stuff, but like the front is uh, grapevines. And then they have like the vineyard to the side and they've got like the old manor house where the family lives that owns the vineyard. I mean, it's cool. Um, yeah. It's $6 a glass, $24 a bottle, $259 and 20 cents a case. It was definitely a solid $24 bottle of wine. Would I rate it more than $24? Maybe because it was such a good experience with the steak and my, like my cousin being there and everything like that. Yeah. And that's a great, but, that's a great wine to have with a steak too. Yeah. And, but because it's not 100% Cap Franc and like, it is a little harsh when you just open it. Like I know you're supposed to, you know, let them breathe for a little bit and stuff like that. But it, you know, $30, no 24 solid price point. So mm-hmm. You know, just kind of a quick review um, and definitely worth checking out, uh, you know, whenever you get out here, um, next time you're out here and you can visit, we are totally going to go up there because it's yeah. like it's I mean, it's expensive to go across the bridge, but it's a wonderful drive and it's a pretty cool place. And, you know, we're going to support Virginia wine if we can. Yeah, I, I think Virginia makes uh, excellent wine, and it's very difficult to get out here in Texas. Um, and, and and Cab Franc in particular, I think uh, Virginia does really well. On like the white side, I think Vignet in Virginia is excellent. Mm-hmm. And on the red side, um, definitely Cab Franc is up there in, in my top uh, my top recommendation, I guess, of of wine that comes out of Virginia that I think is exceptional. And, and what's really interesting about Cab Franc is it really does express terroir in a very good way mm-hmm. because it is it's so extremely different from from region to region. And I did I did like a mini episode. I mean, probably at this point, almost two years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was about it was comparing four different Cab Francs. And they just are so different. And uh, Virginia, I would say I put maybe on the more bold side of the Cab Franc, but then you've got like uh, Finger Lakes region in New York, which is more delicate. Um, my my personal favorite Loire or uh, lawyer, however you say it, Loire, I think is correct. Um, yeah, I think Loire is correct, but either way. Yeah, uh, I think that's my my absolute favorite is probably Loire, but I also really love Virginia, really love Finger Lakes region. Uh mm, California can do a good job. Uh, Washington typically is a little bit too rough for me. And then 
Italy, I've not had a good one from there, but from what people tell me, it's very good. But it is, it's just so different from everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is one of the parent uh, grapes of Cabernet Sauvignon. So if you're a fan of Cabernet Sauvignon, this is a great one to try out just because it does have a lot of those characteristics, but it's a little bit different. It's a little more um, subtle. Is it subtle is the right word? A little bit more subtle. Um, subtle. That, I guess that's the word I was looking for, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's more that it's terroir driven. I think Cabernet Sauvignon is, is a little bit more uniform from terroir to terroir, although it does express terroir. It does, but the Cab Franc is very loose. Like, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's 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 very much more dependent on how the wine was made and where it was made. I yeah, think. and it, that's what's. I think one of the things I like about Cab Franc is, to me, it feels much more like Georgian wine, where it's like somebody hasn't been manipulating this necessarily, like the way Cabernet Sauvignon is. Like Cabernet, but like this also the thing is Cabernet Sauvignon is, as we you know already mentioned in this, is a um, uh, daughter grape of this, and there's a reason for that. Like you get a more solid product more frequently right. with Cabernet Sauvignon, and like I get it, like that that's fine. But like you and I are kind of in that like experience phase of yeah trying stuff, and like that's one of the things we like about Tempranillo is it's. Very terroir driven as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's like more not like aggressive is not the word necessarily, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> you like, know? yeah. I mean, I would say bold, like in your face mm-hmm. a little bit. Like it's not difficult to pick out what's going on. Whereas uh, probably what, what I think we're going to get into today, to me, is a little <laughs> bit more difficult. Uh, which, if you want to transition, we'll get into Pinot Grigio yes. or Pinot Gris, as as they call it. And as I alluded to earlier in the episode, I am probably a little bit more confused by this now after doing some research and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited to try the, cause we, we, uh, I guess dedicated ourselves to four episodes of Pinot Grigio from Kroger. Mm -hmm. And um, we are on the second one. The first one being an Italian one, which is very well known for Pinot Grigio, even though it's not from there or Pinot Gris. Sorry, I'm kicking myself. Okay. We should have bought all of these ahead of time and told the listeners so they could have tried to drink them with us. Um, yeah, that would have actually been a good idea. I didn't think about that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Cause I want to do, I want to follow this up with a, uh, Sauvignon Blanc review okay. from Kroger because there's a good variety of Sauvignon Blanc available. And I am mm-hmm. kind of on a white kick right now, which is Please. weird because Maybe. most people go from white to red. Mm-hmm. I am I'm very much on a white kick right now. Like I feel and and I, I think I texted you earlier this week. I was like I think maybe like climate wise or or temperature wise I'm like the inverse. Mm-hmm. Now that it's starting to get a little bit cooler here, I I feel myself wanting white wine more, which is you know that's ninety eight degrees. So <laughs> that's true. It was ninety it was ninety ninety eight or ninety ninety seven ninety eight almost a hundred degrees today, and uh, and I am enjoying a white wine. But you know what? I think I think part of what it is. I was thinking about it today while I was swimming in the pool. <laughs> I think it's because we're getting into into fall, and a lot of those fall flavors are available. And I do think that uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Grigio and a lot of the white wines do have that crisp apple, which is reminiscent of cider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what confused me a little bit when I was doing research is in in Oregon apparently. What is presented as Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris 
is not always what Europe considers Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris. It is uh, oftentimes either a different clone or uh, Pinot Blanc, which is also a mutation of Pinot Noir, but they don't have the same labeling laws. And also because genetically speaking, it's almost identical to Pinot Noir. The only difference is Pinot Blanc is white, Pinot Gris is pink, and Pinot Noir is uh, purple or black, as they call it. Um, and so it it it's interesting. And it makes sense that they would be planting this in Oregon because particularly the Willamette Valley is so famous for Pinot Noir and makes very good Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. And so they also produce a lot of Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio, and Pinot Blanc. A lot of times they'll just call it Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio and – so what we have today, I don't know what it is. It is um, labeled. I'll go ahead and say our wine now, and then we'll get in a little bit of the information about uh, Pinot Grigio, and then I'll kind of recap what we said last week about it, and then a little bit about what Oregon is. What we're drinking this week was on sale at Kroger for twelve ninety nine. Uh, it normally retails for about sixteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vivino has it. For fifteen, according to their, uh, well, they're saying this is the average uh, price by user, uh, and it is uh, called uh, Sprouting Horn Pinot Grigio. It's known as Thor's Well. That's uh, what's on the label. It's got kind of a a, a bluish label with a boat on it. Mm-hmm. Thor's Well uh, is the brand, so it's Thor's. Oh, well, Thor's Well is the brand. Okay. Horn Point uh, Pinot Grigio. Uh, okay. Did you have the twenty eighteen? Yes. Yeah, okay, we both had the 2018. Here's the thing. Pretty sure we've had this before. Really? Okay. I I have a feeling we have, but I would have to go dig through and figure it out. But All right. Well, I mean, it was on sale, and you and mm-hmm. I are both kind of inclined to buying stuff on sale. Yes. <laughs> um, so it would it would make sense to me if, if one of us or both of us have had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 12.5% ABV. Uh, according to the label, it is... Organ Pinot Gris. And according to my research, Organ Pinot Gris is usually a particular clone of Pinot Gris from, uh, I believe it's pronounced Alsace or Alsace. I think Alsace is correct. I'm um, not sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a particular clonal variety that in Organ they usually call Pinot Gris. Otherwise, they call it Pinot Grigio. Uh, and if it's Pinot Grigio, it's often sometimes Pinot Blanc, which is a different mutant of <laughs> uh, Pinot Noir. What's that? I feel like we're being robbed by how much I like Pinot Grigio in, like, in general. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's all these uh, weird things about it. And it's it's not really what you want yeah. to start. Well, like, and I, I feel like we too, and I feel like because you and I have in the past, although, although I think on the show, we've never really had one that I was particularly crazy about, but you and I have off air at least had a couple Pinot Grigios when I went, when I went, Oh yeah, this is actually pretty good. And I know you like it a lot. Yeah. I think you've definitely had a few that, um, yeah, that you did not that, um, I definitely had a few where you were like, yeah, this is fine. Like, but it's not what you, you weren't going to necessarily go out of your way to buy it. Right. I mean, as far as, as far as whites go, um, as far as lighter bodied whites, I would definitely still go with Sauvignon Blanc, 
But um, I like Pinot Grigio. The ones that we've chosen to do from Kroger in both cases to me are lacking something. Mm -hmm. Um, This one I actually do like better than the previous one we did. Uh, that uh, the one from Italy, um, I'm blanking on the name. I think or it was. Same uh, here. <laughs> yeah, was it was it the the recipient or the receptionist? Yeah, the receptionist. recipient. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It was one of those. Um, same alcohol by volume. To me, that one really had almost no flavor. This one does have a little bit more flavor. If I was to kind of describe the way that I would say this is more on the the maybe pear side than the apple side. Uh, mm-hmm. It does. It definitely has that kind of uh, citrusy, citrusy like maybe lemony, grapefruity kind of flavor to it. Um, as far as like the uh, other fruits, I-, I would say this is more pear, and and to me, pear is a little bit more of a prominent flavor. Um, mm. s- according to the internet, like some people are describing this as minerally or loamy, like earthy. I don't detect that at all. I, I really just think this is kind of a fruity, citrusy, pear-y kind of drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you got out of this. I, I do see that this would actually be a really good pairing for something like, um, like, uh, kibasi, like kibasa, like the, the cooked kind, mm-hmm. uh, or like, uh, maybe like a, like maybe, maybe like a, a spicy dish, like something Indian. Like I could see this going with that. Cause I think it would enhance a little bit of that. Uh, but as far as like just a standalone drink on its own, to me, not not particularly amazing. Uh, I actually did buy it again. Like I, a lot of times I'll give a review where I said, well, I would buy this again. I did feel like after the first bottle, which I drank earlier this week, mm-hmm. I felt like it needed another try. Like hmm. I felt like I, I, I did. There was something missing from it. Like I felt like it it was easy enough drinking that I thought I felt like I drank it too quickly to appreciate it. On my second bottle, I don't really think that's the case. I think it's just a very easy drinking wine. Uh, so if you were going to have something like a pork dish or a spicy dish that went really well with Pinot Grigio or Pinot Gris, um, this would be a great one to get because it is drinkable, but it's not particularly interesting on its own. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a good a good uh, food white wine. Huh. So let me ask you a couple questions. Mm-hmm. How did you, what temperature did you drink this at? Uh, 46 degrees. Okay. That's, uh, drink, what, that's what my, that's what my wine fridge is set to. Yeah. So I drank it at room temperature for the first glass. And these were, my notes are based on my first glass. So, okay. um, smell very light, nearly nothing. Got like no smell from this. Basically I like, there was some white wine smell in it, but not a lot. Uh, look, pale straw i mean this was almost as light looking as the recipient the recipient yeah. was lighter looking so yeah this, this is this had a very slight tinge of gold but yeah yeah pretty much white yeah so uh taste light and coating of the tongue plenty of back end acidity to me so like mm-hmm. yeah. it had, uh back end acidity and the burn kind of like it was a red but not consistent throughout like it pretty much coated your tongue and then that kind of ended and then just light fruit notes. Now I then had a glass after I put it in the freezer, but I didn't leave it in the freezer for long. And then in, in the fridge, I felt that the fruit, but like when I, like the first, like just basically nothing, like when it was at room temperature, it basically didn't taste really like anything. Okay. Um, 
when I had it cold or chilled for me, not, I mean, like yours is what I would call cold. Mine, I don't think my fridge is that. Actually, my fridge might be in that range. I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, like I would buy it again. I would maybe cook with it where I needed some white wine acidity, mm-hmm. but I might go for a lower end Chardonnay for that instead of this. Yeah. Um, because this is one of those ones where I'm not saying it's like a mass produced, mass produced wine or anything like that. Um, but I have a, I have a feeling it's, it's just kind of like, I can't really find a, like a Vintner's website or anything like that. Um, now I'm using DuckDuckGo. So who knows if it's just DuckDuckGo being weird. Um, yeah but it didn't really bring up any results. Um, so I have a feeling it might be not necessarily like a Kroger specific brand, but like I've never, like a few times I've gone to Kroger's website to try to look for products. I've not been able to find them like actually listing products. Yeah. I've had that. I've had a similar issue with the Kroger wine website is it's just not particularly user-friendly. If you, well, you, you're using DuckDuckGo. If you go on a, if you Google this, it will come up on Kroger, but no, I there's, mean, I there's basically it. no information. Well, here's the thing is I had it come up on Kroger and that's, that's like the few times I've tried to go to Kroger before's website. Like I didn't think they had a product website, but I think with COVID and everything like that, like I get it. Like it's, you know, things just are probably different. Um, but, uh, wine press vintners, uh, Grant. So this is a, Vented and bottled in California, actually. Right. So this yep. is, yeah. I was going to bring that up actually in a little way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shortly. So, um, you know, this is one of those ones where, you know, it's not, it wasn't a bad choice. I wish we had noticed before we bought it that it, to figure out that it was bottled in California. Right. Now, maybe if Grant is like literally right across the, you know, the road or something like that. Um, okay. But like, you know, it's not necessarily like a true organ, uh, wine. Um, but yeah, it is not, not the, uh, not what I was expecting. Like, yeah. And I, and I think maybe in, in both cases with, uh, the receptionist and with, um, Thor's, uh, well, I made the decision to purchase this one. This one, this one was my call on this and it was, for a similar reason to the reason why you chose the receptionist is it was on sale and it was on uh not an end cap but those like little like uh like cup holders that are on the end of the wine thing um like where they'll, they'll show their on sale wine so at, mm-hmm. at my Kroger the one that I go to usually which is down the street here uh they've got these like little cup holders that kind of like stick out and they'll put a bottle of wine that's on sale on that okay. and um i i I actually, I don't know if respect is the right word for it, but it's very interesting to me because I am very often drawn to that. And, and I'm the, you know, you and I've talked about this before. (laughs) I'm very, I'm very interested in me and the way I think. So like when I make decisions, (laughs) I, 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 and uh, car has talked about this before too. Like uh, when car and I will be out places is he says, it's weird to observe me thinking about me thinking about things. Because like I will stop mid sentence and be like, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. And I'll be like, yeah, but why do I think that? And like, uh, kind of like start going through like the things. And, so, and when I'm shopping, I do that too, where like I'll be going through the aisle or whatever and looking at the wines and the one that sticks out. Like I'm susceptible to psychology, even if I'm aware of it, 
the the psychological impact of sales, we're all susceptible to it. And um, I don't think it's bad because I probably wouldn't have tried this if it was just on the shelf with everything else. And I'm not upset that I tried it. I, I don't go ahead. It's not that I disagree. If they didn't have a if they didn't have a Pinot Gris in the like an end cap kind of situation, kind of like what yeah. caught your attention here. Right. I think the boat in Thor may have actually gotten you to try this. Actually, that's that's a good point because it that is act that was all also kind of the secondary thing mm-hmm. is that label wise it was really a, interesting to me. Uh, like the color on the label is really yeah. nice. And here's the thing: like the more we look at this, I'm 99% positive we've done this one before, or I may have had it and did it while like in one of our, um, when you were not here shows, like, you know, kind of like the distant show. So like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've done this one before. (laughs) And and, and one thing that I've noticed about Kroger too, is that they put similar wines on sale, um, in rotation. Mm -hmm. So, and, and and I'm not upset about that because they will do this with one that you and I talk about a lot. And I still buy to this day, even though it was one of our very first caps off is freak show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they do usually it's about sixteen dollars a bottle. Occasionally they'll put it on sale for about thirteen, and for thirteen dollars, Freak Show is a solid cab sob. I still really like it, mm-hmm. and um, even though our palettes have expanded quite a bit, I Michael David's Winery in uh, uh, it's in Lodi, um, they do a a solid cab sob for that price point. Uh, now. This week I finished, I actually, I'll surprise all the listeners who have been listening for a long time. I have no wine left. Uh, wow. And I don't know if that's a surprise to you, but yeah, I'm is. out. I mean, you also haven't mentioned buying wine in a while, like yes. um, volumatically. So then I think about it, it, it also makes a little more sense. And then also because like, you're still not going into the office every day, right? That's right. And so I drink, I drink, uh, usually I'll have a glass at lunch and, um, because well, I'm not even, going into the office. I wasn't even thinking of the consumption level, yeah. but like, I know things are more open in parts of Texas, maybe not necessarily where you live by comparison mm-hmm. to the rest of Texas. Um, but like the other thing is you're not necessarily an impulse buyer, but we're both impulse buyers. Sure. So, of course. Like, yeah being out and going like, Oh, I wonder what, you know, like I'm near the total wine. I don't have anywhere to be. Let me go in. Yeah, you're right. You know? So like, I think there's also been a cut down on that because you're not traveling to the office. That's true. And, and and especially now that we've moved, because we moved right around the beginning of COVID, I don't have really any total wines uh, or any liquor stores that are, well, Actually, if I was going to work, there would be one in between me and work, but because I'm not going to work anymore. And, and you're right. Yeah, it's it's really, it's the COVID lockdown. It's because I'm not I'm not traveling. So there's not like a, hey, I've got 20 minutes or whatever till, uh, like I, and, and you know, because I'm a software developer, so my, my schedule is pretty flexible. Sometimes if like I finish something that I'm working on and I don't really want to work much more and I've got, and I look at my tickets and I'm like, well, None of these are about twenty minutes left, and it's and it's about three thirty. Yeah, I'll just leave right now. And and if I if I feel like picking something up tonight, I'll pick up something tonight. 
if I leave 30 or 40 minutes early, sometimes on the way home, I'll just stop somewhere because, you know, I don't have anywhere I need to be. And like you said, like, it's just kind of like, well, might as well go in and browse. And Victoria doesn't like wine. So um, if I have time, I'll go and browse for a while. And, mm-hmm. uh, and like, to, like actually the other day when I picked out, when I picked this out the first time, uh, Victoria didn't come with me to Kroger. So I had a little while and I just kind of looked around in, in Kroger and, uh, because I had a lot of time, I was scanning things and was just like, I don't want to buy anything here because it's all too expensive. But, um, this was actually a decent price. It's a little bit cheaper than what, uh, Vivino rates it at. And, and there's a couple other things too, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, you're right. I think yeah, that was a very long way of me saying you're correct, Mason. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it's because of the lack of travel because of COVID is that there's just a lot less uh, opportunity for me to go look at stuff and buy it. And so uh, my at home supply and, and what's weird about it to me and a, and I'm a little bit un um, not unfortunate like it's it's uh, so like. Earlier this week, I had a about a hundred dollar bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. Victoria had a sip, didn't like it, even though it had been aired for a little while. She does like Cab sometimes, but she's very particular. It's mostly uh, twenty fourteen Oakville Cab Sauv is is her thing, and um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's very specific. Uh, so she, I, I opened one. I thought it was excellent. It was a really great Cab Sauv. But I finished the bottle that night, and it's one of those things where I wish I had had a cheaper bottle open because mm-hmm. I probably could have had that first glass, glass, really enjoyed it, and then switched to something a little bit cheaper for my second or third glass. And I ended up drinking the entire bottle because I liked it so much, and not because I liked it so much. It was because nothing else was there. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good I should actually review it on one of these episodes. Maybe I'll do a mini about it because it was very good. Uh, and um, did I ever do uh, the um, not petite? I'm, 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 my mind is trying is going straight to petite collide because I know I've done a petite collide review, uh, which I also finished my last bottle of petite collide. Uh, I think last week, but yeah. Uh, anyways, that aside, we'll, we'll get back to Pinot Grigio. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's kind of one of the things that's been encouraging me to reach out a little bit more into other areas is because we don't really go to Total Wine. We don't go to anywhere near Total Wine very often right now because of the, the lockdown, uh, mostly because we're both really prejudiced against the masks and we just don't want to do it. So we just don't go anywhere. And um, which, well, we'll get into that another time. But um, so a lot, I, I keep going off on these like, oh, we can get into that another time things. But it's it's been basically Kroger is where I go mostly now. It yeah, is um, that's this place. Uh, occasionally, the Whole Foods is nearby because they have better a better uh, fresh herb selection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, Kroger is is really as far as reasonably priced wine the only one that I'm frequenting at the moment, and I think that's good for this segment because we've gotten two Pinot Grigios, which I think for the price were both fair. Mm-hmm. For what I want to drink, I so far for the price point, I still would go to Sauvignon Blanc as far yeah, as white so wines. I think personally, we need to like because it, it'll be my pick next in theory. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do my best to try to get one that's actually 
And if it, I can get one that's on sale to $19.99, even better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that probably will improve our um, experience quite a bit. But I think that people who listen to this that are interested in a white wine that's acidic, mm-hmm. um, actually, you know, our, a mutual friend of ours and a friend of the show, uh, Rollo McFrugal, has he, been, has he ever McFrugal. been on our show? McFrugal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I haven't been on his show, I don't think. Yeah, but but he, you, and him were on the show when I was not on the show. I think. Yes. And yeah, yeah, was yeah. that his? Was that his first appearance? Goodness gracious! I I think it might have been. Okay, we should have him on again because he is an excellent cook. Mm-hmm. And but his he will text me occasionally and ask for a pairing. He had recently, he was, uh, uh, it was a green pesto with pasta that he was eating. And he was asking if this particular rosé he had would be a good pairing. And it was a dry rosé, so it was, to me, was fine. I would have gone with something like this much more for a green pesto than a rosé, uh, a dry yeah. rosé. I don't know what, what your opinion of that would be, but well, I know that know. he listens to the show, so it would be interesting for you to say what you think about well, that. You know, you know my opinion always is to go um would be probably a red even with a pesto okay because i think pesto is kind of an overpowering flavor so and i think you're drawn to this because of the acidity against that's exactly why yep so to me if you went like like freak show would be acidic enough um, mm-hmm. but I don't think it has a lot of the standard cab sob flavors. Like it's got to me more of the mineral minerality to it. Sure. Um, yeah. that I think would go well with pesto, but I also think a, like, a like a Tempranillo, um, old world, not new world, okay. but old world, um, yeah, like a Rioja or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Rioja, okay. um, or Granacha. So both of the uh, El Pastor, the thinkers, the ones that yeah. I get, like both of theirs would be good in their background. That was actually, that was a yeah. good one that El Pastor, the, um, yeah, the, uh, I remember that cause I got that after you recommended it. I thought it was, it was very, very decent for the price point. Exactly. It's, it's a, both like their Granacha and their Tempranillo. I don't think you like the Granacha as much, but the Tempranillo, like yeah. they're both really good. They both have the acidity. And I think even some like Merlot's, you could get in there um, kind of a cheaper Merlot, but not like a super cheap Merlot. Cause like some of the Merlots are, you know, because it's, you know, say 80% Merlot and 25% Capsov or something like that. They get a little sure. more acidity to them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of where I would go. But I mean, like I don't really eat a lot of um, pesto pastas mainly. I don't know why. Like, I think it's cause like, I always think they're going to be, somebody's going to sneak cheese in them. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. Like, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's stupid, but that's kind of the thing. And like, and I, I feel better like biologically a lot when I generally don't have all that much dairy anyway. Like, sure. But it's weird. Like I don't really mind milk that much and I don't necessarily have issues with like certain fermented milks. So like, you know, right. uh, the skier, uh, yogurt, um, I had that sheep's milk yogurt today and I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. It was, it, something it's was different. different about it. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was kind of like, I don't like this at first. And then I was kind of like, yeah, this is good. Uh, it's right. not as like sour as, uh, the skier, but like, right. yeah, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, so that would be kind of where I would go. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, like I'm always up for having uh, Rolo and Team on or. Yeah, let's let's have him on. Uh, I'll see. I'll see if he's cooking anything new, and then maybe maybe we actually. I mean, he's Italian. I'm sure he's interested in trying Italian wine. So the next Italian mm-hmm. wine we do, let's 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 maybe have him on, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about food too. Because I'm I'm also expanding my food, mm-hmm. um, like my cooking. I think I think really Speaking a lot of, of it cooking. is. What's that? Speaking of cooking. Yeah, I mean, I've I've really been cooking a lot more. I'm 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 gonna get a. I think I want to get a smoker because I think yeah. that although I do have the griddle, um, the griddle, it, it's more diverse than I think a just a regular charcoal grill. But I think that uh, it is lacking that smoking aspect that charcoal grills sometimes can have, and um, I think we'll kind of expand that a little bit. But let's speaking of cooking, let's mm-hmm. go ahead and play our um, our advertisement because. I need to step away real quick so okay. you feel the dead air after yeah. the advertisement is done, okay? Yes. So uh, I will play it right now. Hi, folks. Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher i look forward to hearing from you so that's the culinary libertarian jacob uh he recently released a not jacob but um the culinary libertarian recently released a um cookbook and jacob has it and he's been uh kind of learning from it the cool thing about the cookbook is it it teaches you like a technique with each recipe so it's not like hey we're gonna do things on squash it's like here's a technique and you're gonna learn it in there so um, that's right yeah yeah it's it's a great it's a great book it's available on amazon uh, i've cooked uh, a couple of recipes from it so far i'm gonna try a couple of soup recipes in the, in the near future and um I'll let everybody know. And actually, we should have Dan Reed on. I, I think I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times before because he also gets wine from Last Bottle Wine, mm-hmm. which if you're interested, you can get a discount by going over to tastinganarchy.com and using our Last Bottle of Wine link. You'll get $10 off your first purchase, and it also gives us a kickback so that we mm-hmm. can get kind of more interesting um, yeah. exotic, I, I wouldn't say exotic wines, but a little bit more high priced wines that we don't normally get. I know that I've, I've sent you a couple of them, Mason. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ones that you really enjoyed not too long ago. And that I think your wife really liked, liked was that Tuscan Rosé. Uh-huh. One of my favorite Rosés I've ever had. Yeah. It, and, it, and it's not expensive. No, it's not. I think it was, it was like nine, like eight or $9 on uh last bottle of wines. And I think it normally retails for like 12. So like, like I, it's an easy $20 rosé. Like, oh perfect. yeah, it was, like, it was very is. good. Yeah. It, it, it was actually the first rosé that I had, I think that made me more interested in trying rosé. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause I always kind of think of that as more of like a kind of a white girl trash wine. Um, but it's, um, it, it really it rose yeah what's that uh, no i'm i was laughing at what you were saying i'm saying oh yeah it's an interesting technique that is not often applied in a way that you and i particularly care to try but exactly there are people who can do really interesting and nice things about it um mm-hmm. so the wine that we had thor's well uh blah 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 point pinot grige um so you do you, do you know grayton california or Grattan? Grattan. Um, I don't 
think so. Uh, I can look it up real quick. Well, no, I've already done it. So okay, um, it's basically at the same like there's a you know Santa Rosa. Yeah, I do know Santa Rosa. It's like sure. yeah. Pro, yeah, I mean like I mean California wise, it's probably forty minutes away. Got it. Okay, but like I mean it is. Oh, North I see. Carter this is to, this is yeah. like in uh, this is just like basically north of Napa, kind mm-hmm. of uh, maybe northeast of Sonoma. But yeah, like you know, I'm sure it's because Google's spying on me. But uh, even though I'm using Brave and was on DuckDuckGo, uh, but I went <laughs> right. to Google Maps and like pretty much the only thing that they're advertising food wise is uh, wineries. <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah. you know it's uh, Charvel Vineyard. Bowman, uh, Bowman Cellars, Paul Hobbs Winery, Furthermore Wines, Dutton Estate Winery, and that's just kind of in the town itself. But if you'd like zoom in, you know, more start popping up and stuff like that. Sure. But there's yeah. actually a Bordeaux Vineyards that's listed out there. Oh, but, uh, it's in uh, Sebastopol, California, which is, you know, just those goofy little California names that, like, when my wife tells me she goes out to work in one of these little goofy towns in Virginia, and I always tell her, that, that's just a made-up place. Like, right. yeah. you're yeah. just made up places again. <laughs> and she's just, you know, just like, you've lived here, like, you're pretty much your entire life. Like, how do you not know these things? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Made up bullshit. Well, I mean, if people, if people are interested in kind of the lesser-known parts of california i do get into some of them on the california in exile which is a new mm-hmm. podcast i'm working on i'm hoping to have you on and your wife on at some point to talk yeah. about some memories from stockton and from the bay area uh recently i talked a little bit about uh, la honda which is uh where a camp that i used to go to um is and uh one of the most beautiful parts of california i mean california it's just full of beautiful parts which makes it so <laughs> sad but um if you're interested in a little bit of that, I mean, we get into it a lot in this show because California is such a, a wine centric state, mm-hmm. but especially in the United States, uh, as far as our wine industry goes, well, it's but, um, like we just can't shut up about California no matter what. That's true. So, I mean, it, it, it bums me out so much because I do, I do love it, but, mm-hmm. uh, let's go ahead and get back a little bit. Let's, let's, let's rein things back in and get into organ, organ Pinot Grigio a little bit. Uh, so, I, I don't have a whole bunch of, of pinpoints for this, but let's go ahead and review uh, briefly Pinot Grigio in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pinot Grigio, uh, normally known as uh, Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Gris, kind of interchangeable. Also in German areas known as uh, Graubungunder, mm-hmm. because it is believed to have originated in Burgundy which is very famous for Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, also uh, a clone almost identical genetically to Pinot Noir, but just slightly different, which makes it a kind of a pinkier color. There's also Pinot Blanc, which is also almost genetically identical, but it is a white colored grape. Um, so that that's one of those are kind of the things that we learned a little bit about Pinot Grigio when we were doing the previous episode of this. Uh, with Oregon Pinot Grigio, as I alluded to earlier in the episode, it it gets a little bit more complicated because uh, they do put a little bit more emphasis on Pinot Gris versus Pinot Grigio, but Pinot Grigio is also different from, or well, Pinot Grigio and Pinot Blanc sometimes get blended together. They're sometimes... Uh, 
the same thing, or well, that's not the right way to put this. They're sometimes labeled the same thing. Mm -hmm. So genetically, they are distinct, but they uh, sometimes they'll conflate the two. Uh, so Pinot Gris is is usually indicative of a particular strain or a particular genetic uh, clone, and it is also indicative of a particular technique that is more along the lines of what they're doing in France, Alsace in particular. Mm-hmm. If it's Pinot Grigio, usually that's more along the lines of the technique that they use in Italy. And it can sometimes be uh, Pinot Blanc, but is often labeled Pinot Grigio. Uh, so this was introduced into Oregon in the 1970s, around the same time that uh, Pinot Noir was introduced, because it is a similar climate. So you would think that maybe Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio would kind of uh, require a similar environment. And, and they do do well in the same area. Uh, but they did kind of start separating out, and it's mostly it does seem to be kind of a uh, a vineyard versus vineyard thing, and a region versus region thing, and and sometimes a subregion versus greater region. So Willamette Valley is um, Oregon's kind of main area for producing wine. There's also a little a little section that is the Columbia Valley, but they don't really do this there. Uh, but in the Willamette Valley, there's also a lot of subregions, and those subregions will decide to instead of labeling it Pinot Gris, they will lean it, label it Pinot Grigio. But they also will interchange Pinot Grigio with Pinot Blanc. So that that is kind of a uh, one of the things that made this a little bit more confusing for me. And I think it's something we need to kind of dig into a little bit more because I I only looked into a couple of articles about this, but they they started going into this, and I was like, whoa. I need to kind of step back and we might need to add, we might need to add like a fifth episode or maybe make the fourth episode about Oregon again, because Mm -hmm. I think we need to dig into what's going on in Oregon a little bit more. And this is what's what you and I have talked about this a bunch on the show. And it kind of makes the show real fun is that, uh, we kind of live in the wild, wild West, you and me both, uh, the new world is the wild, wild west of wine. We don't have the labeling laws. We don't have the labeling restrictions, which, uh, on some on some fronts makes things a little bit more difficult, but on the other fronts it makes uh, experimentation open and more available, so people can try different things and not be as restricted as they were previously. I mean, we know that in in France, for example, you might want to plant something different in Bordeaux that is not one of the grapes that are approved by Dor- by Bordeaux, and you're prohibited from labeling it Bordeaux which makes people less inclined to buy it. So they don't get the opportunity to experience something a little more interesting. But in the new world, we don't have those same restrictions. So sometimes we get something really unusual and interesting. And, and it seems like Oregon's kind of that melting pot a little bit of, it's a little bit unclear, which is difficult and kind of concerning in some ways but in other ways i think probably for you and me is a little bit more exciting because it takes a little bit more investigation a little bit more knowledge to figure out what exactly is going on and why do i like this wine as much as i like it maybe this is a pinot blanc uh, the one that we're trying now and and we do know that if you are um if you're in an adjoining state according to the laws and this one is labeled organ pin this is organ uh, dang it i closed the tab what is this one labeled Oregon Pinot Grigio or Pinot mm-hmm. Gris? Pinot Gris. 
Pinot Gris. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's right. Pinot Gris. So, uh, this one is probably that specific Pinot Grigio uh, varietal. But we also know that in order to call yourself an Oregon wine, you just have to be in an adjoining state. You don't necessarily have to be growing it all in one particular part of Oregon. So maybe some of this is from the Willamette Valley. Maybe some of it's from other regions that are not incorporated into some sort of AVA, which is even more interesting to me. But I, I would be a little bit more curious to know about the history of where these grapes come from so that we know what we're getting. Yeah, uh, And I, I'd also be interested to kind of try one that is more specific to a particular area. That would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of what's been nice about this series is neither of these have been as good as I would have thought they were going to be, um, at least for what I'm looking for in a wine experience. And I think that's one of those ones where that says a lot about kind of the wine I've been having otherwise. I've been having more flavorful and more kind of, not violent, but like just a little more aggressive wine in general. And these mm. are subtle enough where I'm kind of like, yeah, something's happening. Heck if I yeah. know what it is. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, <laughs> right. that's a classic me response. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. Well, it is, it is happening here, but I am too <laughs> stupid to know. Um, but you know, not in like in a bad way. Like I, I, you and I enjoy wine and yes. I don't feel that like, you know, this is, this isn't one of those situations where I'm like, Jacob made me buy this piece of garbage wine and I'm so blah, blah. No, like I, I enjoyed the wine. Um, I wouldn't necessarily like if I was doing a tasting of Grigio's, like, yeah, I probably would get this one again um, to kind of be like, Hey guys, like let's try some different ones. You know what I mean? Like let's try uh, different things and kind of see like, Oh, here's one from Oregon. Here's one from um, here, there, but like, uh, you know, is it anything to write home about? Not really. Like it definitely gave us pretty good thought, uh, good talking points on the show and kind of like yeah. again that, uh, seeing things, but this is one of those ones where like, I know it's not really kind of what we normally do, but like, I almost feel like we need to like pump up the, um, like the price point or maybe like the sourcing location. Um, yeah. And, only because like, I'd like to see like, you know, this is one of those ones is like, how much are we getting it? That's terroir and that sort of thing. And how much are we limited on just price point? Cause like I, you know, you were going into like, what could like the naming point be and everything like that to be like, not to disparage the, the winery necessarily. I don't think it's any of that. I, I truly think it's, um, just they went with a naming convention and i think it's mass produced like i don't think it's a um like because like i looked for the winery on the Groton website and like it's bottled under some like um one of the sites i had open had its uh like both sides of the bottle and i i'm not seeing it now um but basically you know it it, it made it seem like um there was more to it like or yeah. like it's, it's bottled by some other place, and so yeah. to me, it's, well, it's definitely that would be, not. That would be very interesting because you know, we, as you and I both know, there's there is a purchase, especially with it, it, Texas has this a lot, and Oregon 
seems to have this a lot. Probably Washington does too, and I just don't know a huge amount about it. You know who probably would would be uh, Jackson Blood. We should ask him about this, but he's been in exile out of the country during COVID times. Wait, he's um, actually out of the country? He is. He's. Uh, I don't remember what country he's in, but he is out of the country. He just got stuck somewhere else. Uh, COVID happened. It was difficult for him to come back, so he just decided to stay. So um, we, we I, I don't I don't know much more than that. Blood. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's so interesting. I, um, um, I, I I'm going to try to get. I'll, I'll try to get him on the show yeah, again because yeah, I mean, like yeah he's, yeah as we have said every time he's on he's so interesting and like I mean obviously like I mean I know the well, guy he's got he is like one of those like, guys where like his 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 knowledge of wine is mm-hmm. like. Is like when it's it's like if you or me were to go into like you and I have a passing knowledge of like history and economics, but if like we were to sit down with like Tom Woods or somewhere like that, somebody like that, we we could kind of maybe ask questions and it would it would make the conversation continue, but we don't have the level of knowledge to elaborate on things that like mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. he has. Like he is he's a great guest and and um really interesting guy. I'm hoping to have him on again. I, I've been talking to him. He's, he's not really on Twitter as much anymore, but he's on Instagram. And so I'll, I'll try to maybe follow up with him on, on that. Um, we've got probably about 10, I would say 10 more minutes on the show. Uh, I don't want to go too much longer. Do you want to get into my article real quick? It's about English wine. And I know that that's something that you're interested in. I have one other thing. Um, okay. I probably have found this and talked to you about this before. Um, but apparently, uh, Total Wine has a South Dakota wine. Really? That is a Tempranillo Grenache. Hmm. So I can get it shipped to the Norfolk store from the Alexandria store, but it's not available in Texas at all. So I was thinking if we could get... Um, South Dakota or North Dakota? South. Okay. South Dakota. Yeah. It's- Man, I, I got to look at that up. That's interesting. Hang on, I'll, I'll just send you the link. In the yeah, chat. Send, me, send me that. That's like, I don't know how they survive out there. They, it must it must be in the mountain. It must be in the Black Hills or something. Yeah. So, yeah. But so, like, I wanted to try to get a hold of that because it was just like, talk about being out there. But also, yeah. if, um, I am so bad with his name. I never remember his name. Um, The Barbary Cook? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Barbary Cook. I don't know if he wants us to tell his real name. Oh online, yeah. Yeah. So. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, okay, okay. I always get like, uh, I get the Barbary Cook, but then I make it like, I want to make it like the Barbados Cook or like, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always just. Yeah. I think he's, I think the- he's like somewhere near Fargo, mm-hmm. but I, I could be, I could be totally mistaken. He may be totally offended by that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I he is a very nice person. So I don't yeah, he is. think he yeah. would be. Um, he would but, actually, yeah, he would be a great person to have on for, for that. If, yeah. Uh, but like if, if we, we could, get, if we could send it to him or something. Well, this it's South Dakota. Like, so it was, yeah. I would assume that like, unless it's just one of those things where it's, you know, somebody does it. Um, but like, you know, if he could get a hold of it and then we could get you a, a bottle of it and then just kind of be like, Oh, you know, reminisce about Childerberg and all that. Yeah. Um, but also talk about this, uh, like a South Dakota winery. Interesting. Yeah. That would be actually really good. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's try to get that in the works. That would be a really great episode. I think. Yeah. Uh, Okay, yeah, let's, let's get in. If it's like just super mislabeled because uh, they do that at Total <laughs> Wine a lot. So like that's, that's true. They do poetically about like this South Dakota wine. 
no, this is a this is a Rioja embedding its imported some business in South Dakota. Somehow figured it out how to how to get it, like figured out the laws and was able to import. Well, you know what the thing is is that um, a lot of the because the AVAs have to be established, you can you can pretty much outside of any of the established AVAs, you can pretty much label your wine whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually wouldn't be a bad talking point and we should try it because maybe they've they imported grapes from spain no no and this is this is an actual rioja like dominion it's oh okay okay like All i right. mean it's got this like i don't know if it's got the sticker but it's got the dominion Diorzian like like it's got the whole thing on it so like it is Man, i am i am super interested in that actually now that you've mentioned it I really just want to try to figure it out and, and figure out because like, that's one of the things that's really interesting about wine from yours and my perspective is that because of all of the government involvement in it, it makes things in some ways less convoluted, but in other ways, a lot more convoluted. Yeah. And what, what I think is always so fun about this is it's like how often that um, like total wine just has, wrong information right like not wrong but maybe just not necessarily intelligently labeled right (laughs) yeah well i mean it could be it could be that there's like a a winery up there that makes like american grape varietals and that they just that they also import this and put it out on their label yeah but it's not i mean it's it's a straight like South Dakota, like it's just a bad label, but it just makes it so interesting. Yeah, we, we, you know, let's follow up on that. Let make a make a note if you can. I emailed. I'm, I'm very curious. Oh, you did? Okay, all right, all right. I'm super curious about that now. South Dakota wine. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, well, let let's let's do this last article because we got to wrap up here. Um, so you know, wine that you're interested in and I'm interested in is uh, wine from England or or uh, England, Britain. English, England, Wales, that kind of area. Uh, and uh, now whether this is due to climate change or, you know, the little ice age or whatever, they did used to produce wine in England and, and they have for the last several years produced particular types of wine in places like Cornwall, uh, where it is a little bit warmer and they do have sort of a, you know, whatever the beach life is for the English that exists in Cornwall. <laughs> and, um, and, it, it, it's slightly warmer. They do make that. I, I know that they make mostly sparkling wines. And that's what this article is about, is that uh, the article is by our boy Chris Mercer at Decanter Magazine, who we, we really like because he gives it as it is. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of editorial in, in his information. I, but, I wonder if um, we could get him on. That would be cool. Uh, you know, Maybe I'll tweet him. I think he's on Twitter, and I think I follow him. I, I should because he, he – Every single time he makes an article, his article is just factual, and it doesn't seem to me, at least, that there's any editorial in it. I it's think just, there is, here's information. I think a lot of the times it's kind of like, it, it, not like eye-rolly, like, you know, in that, like, um, mm-hmm. sarcastic way, but it's kind of like, and then he said he didn't have sexual relations with that woman. Right. And, and you're like, okay, whatever. Okay. Like... Sure, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this article. I'll I'll go ahead and read the 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 title of it. I didn't summarize it, but I I read the article, so it's kind of an 
interesting article. And if you want to go over to Decanter Magazine, you can you can look up this article. But it's it's uh, from uh, September eighth, and it says uh, world gets a taste of English wine as exports soar uh, from Tokyo to New York. New figures show that international demand for UK wines has been rising strongly. And when you get into the article, it he does point out that. Yes, that that's what it shows, but still in relation to Champagne and Prosecco, because this is sparkling wine from uh, Britain that is being exported. Uh, it, it is still a very, very small percentage of sparkling wines. But as far as exports from England go, they're very high. And what have you and I been discussing quite a bit that probably contributes a little bit to these like high export numbers? Uh, a lot of the tariffs. Exactly. Yeah. That, and, and he, he does mention that briefly in the articles. Um, but, uh, I don't, I don't know if that's what they're attributing to it, but like I said, he just kind of gives the facts as they are. So there's been a a steady increase in, uh, the wines. So it's about a 6% increase in exports in 2019 In 2020. The figures are still out, but they, they do think it's going to be a slightly larger increase despite COVID. Um, and it, and it's, I, I won't get into a huge amount of this, but particular vineyards have shown, uh, up to 150% increase in exports. Uh, so, they they do kind of comment on this in the article, and I I don't I, don't, I want to make it brief because it's not really I don't want to say it's not factual, but it's like they're in the context of COVID, and that's what they mentioned in the article. This could be kind of an anomaly. Mm-hmm. I I would say it's probably in the context of tariffs that it's a, a little bit of an anomaly. But despite that, if more English wines are available in America, I want to try them even if they're sparkling and I'm not a big fan of sparkling at all. Well, I mean, we've been tracking like, and I know we've, we've talked about this and we will, I mean, obviously we're going to continue talking about this till we're blue in the face. Uh, but we've talked about this kind of happening, this, this being a thing for a long time now. And we've been Mm -hmm. interested in, and we've been following it mainly, you know, because of Chris Mercer's articles trying to like, get a hold of some of these British wines. Cause we're like very interested in Britain. Like we do yeah. like, Oh, not Britain, but like great Britain as a whole. Like, I mean, you're, you've got heritage there. I've got some heritage there, but having been there both, it, it's a very nice and fun place. Um, maybe not during COVID time because apparently they're like Nazis about everything, but um, <laughs> right. like we're very interested in it. And the fact that they they're now doing something that, we really like <laughs> yeah which is wine well, and, and more wine. It, it is it's wine but it's also i don't know if you recall this but maybe 20 maybe well, probably more than this maybe 50 episodes back uh i should look up the actual episode and maybe put it in the show notes but um we did talk about how britain had an exceptional year i think that was before you even left i think it was too i think yeah. this was a long I mean, time ago long back yeah, and they and and they're talking about 2019 vintage right now, um, which is a heart. I I think they mean actually no no this would not be harvest year 2019. This would just be volume in 2019. So this could still be the 2017 or 2018 vintage, which would mm-hmm. have placed me in Virginia still at the time. And I think you and I talked about this on the show where we said. 
they had such an exceptional vintage. And in juxtaposed to other European countries, the other countries had a very bad vintage that year. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I might have said on the episode that we said, well, maybe this will mean greater exports to the United States or or other countries. And um, man, I definitely got to look this up now because I, I got to put it in our show notes because I think we might have made this predic- prediction about this episode. Yeah. Um, what's even funnier about it is um, like how the reasoning is <laughs> very slightly different than what we were thinking, you know, volumetrically. Yeah, but it is, but yeah. it, but it's like that they had the vintage available and mm-hmm. then COVID happened and mm-hmm. then tariffs. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it would be then tariffs happened and then COVID happened. <laughs> so it's like, it's like one thing after another just sort of favored Britain for export. And granted, the overall exports are not that much higher. Certain vineyards had 150% increase, but overall it's only been about a 6% increase. And it's only been an increase to the United States, Canada, and Australia. Everywhere else is roughly the same. So it, it it's, well, two of them are Commonwealth nations, and one of them is just favorable to the UK because of the quote-unquote special relationship. And... um so it, it's a very interesting article. It's kind of one of those articles where I kind of want to put a pin in it and, mm-hmm. and just kind of let's let's reference back to this as other things evolve because I, you and I have talked about this as the show's continued and, and I re-listen to our episodes every once in a while. Um, I have come a, a I have come very far on the climate train, the climate change, the climate change argument (laughs) um and it's a lot has been to this show because like we look at we look at the articles now granted the articles could be biased but we look at the articles we look at the information and exports and available wine and bad years and good years do seem to be favoring northern or cooler climate regions Mm -hmm. and that to me kind of goes well maybe there is something to this climate change the implications of that i may disagree with but um that has kind of changed my position a lot on this and it, and it does seem like britain in my opinion is poised to be a producer of crisp white wines and mm-hmm. possibly well sparkling wines is what they produce a lot of cornwall in particular so people people go oh i'm gonna get a champagne champagne doesn't indicate a particular grape it, it indicates a region Cornwall could do the same thing. And Cornwall does produce a sparkling wine and their sparkling wine, um, not from experience, but from what people have told me and from what I've read online, they have crisper, cleaner bubbles, smaller bubbles and more frequent bubbles. And that makes a crisper wine than champagne. Whether that's what you want or not, that's another story. But keep in mind that Britain did invent the thick, glass bottles that made champagne possible. And now Cornwall is also producing that sparkling wine. And that may be the new celebratory wine. If the Trump era continues, which mm-hmm. you know we're getting, we're getting very close to the election. Trump does, doesn't drink. He's a teetotaler, but he is very unfavorable to France and especially tariff wise, unfavorable to France, unfavorable to the rest of the EU, but actually interestingly favorable to Italy which is why Prosecco is up in imports and also very favorable to UK who is leaving the EU or mm-hmm. in the process, you know. So this is this is going to be a very interesting 
watch of the American palate when it comes to sparkling wines because you've got the Italian wines where they make Prosecco, which Prosecco is a different method than than um, than the way that, that France does it with Champagne. And then you have Cornwall, which is a very similar method to Champagne, but uh, according to them, they argue that they're making a more crisp and smaller bubbled sparkling wine. Uh, so it may be that you and I, when we are having some sort of celebration in the future, will be popping a cork of Cornwall and not popping a cork of champagne. Uh, although I don't like sparkling wine in general. So <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll be popping a cork of freak show, <laughs> but, uh, knowing us, we like, I think if it was smaller bubbles, I think you might enjoy it. But yeah, like I think yeah, we yeah. would be popping like, uh, whatever we could get our hands on. Cause, uh, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Actually, if you and I were celebrating, I, I think, I think we've established this now is that it's going to be Pina. That's that's our that's our uh, celebratory wine going forward for probably for in perpetuity, um, and on that note, <laughs> let's wrap up the episode. Uh, do you want to go ahead and do our plugs because we're about ten minutes over, but we can yeah. we can do the plugs and maybe anything else you want to kind of so, wrap up before the show's over. Um, Facebook and Childerberg are on Twitter and they're on Facebook. <laughs> Facing Anarchy and. Childerberg on Twitter. Childerberg is our annual event in Texas. This year's going to be still with the mule, mule shoe. No, no, yeah, it is. It's yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, so mule, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the next one. Uh, it's May 29th through 31st at Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area. Um, I'll let you continue with that, but that that's yeah. basically it. So yeah, so that's our annual event in Texas. Um, Central Texas. It's north of Austin, uh, about forty minutes north of Austin. A pretty yeah, cool it's like, area. It's like yeah, it's like forty minutes northeast or yeah, northwest. I guess northwest. Yeah, fly into Austin if you want. Don't fly into Austin. Do whatever. Um, but there's plenty of hotels nearby if you don't want to stay the night. Um, provided everything is cool, like we're hoping it's going to be, um, and we don't have to go to like South Dakota because you know everybody's locked down, like lunatics again or something like that. Um, my wife and daughter will be joining us, um, so I will probably not be staying at the campsite. I'll be traveling back, you know, but we'll be enjoying some camping again. Uh, but you can follow us at tastinganarchy.com. What I was trying to say is both Facebook or Facebook. Both Tasting Anarchy and Shoulder Burger are on Facebook, and uh, I think we have an Instagram that you do stuff with on occasionally. Uh, you do much yes. more social media stuff than I do, um, so you know. Uh, yeah, our, our our Instagram is mostly just me posting pictures of the dogs and occasionally pictures of whatever wines wine we've been drinking. <laughs> yeah, wine bottles with the dogs a lot. Uh, gotcha. I think I put some. Yeah, that, that's basically it. Yeah, so you know you can follow us there. Um, you can also send us an email, tastinganarchy at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, reach out, say hello, do stuff. Um, if you have tried either of the wines that we had, let us know. You know, we send us a tweet or something like that. Let us know what you yeah. want. Um, if you have a suggestion of Kroger wine that you think we should try, like or a varietal that you find at Kroger quite frequently um, that we don't often talk about, but you're interested in hearing about, or you know that they have like a strong varietal selection of um, a varietal selection because varietal is the wine type. Um, but like place, you know, like diverse locations and like, you know, 
it would be interesting to say like do Washington, Oregon, California, but that's too much East Coast. We're talking like California, Virginia, California, Texas, California, Great Lakes, uh, France, Italy, you know, that sort of yeah, yeah. like variety. Now, I mean, France and Italy aren't that far apart by comparison, like, you know, considering distances in the United States, but, um, you know, that sort of kind of varietal differences. And, but there's also winemaking techniques. And yes, we understand that in the United States, they have different techniques. We know it. But yeah, let us know. Um, reach out. Say hello. Yeah. And, and also, let me, let me go ahead and pimp my new show, yeah. um, which uh, Mason will probably be a guest on in the near future. And mm-hmm. so will hopefully his wife, I don't know if she's interested in being totally a podcast. Okay, good. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, it's called The California in Exile. I've got five episodes out right now. The fifth episode is – not it doesn't it does feature me a little bit but it's mostly me doing introductions and stuff but it's my grandmother and my mom talking about a particular place in california and um my grandmother is very old and uh she has excellent memories of california in general so you don't want to miss that episode uh check out on twitter the california in exile and check out uh i think the it's on most of the podcatchers right now, but it's the California Nexile on most podcasters. Um, I'm working on the website right now. Also, just keep in mind, as of this recording and probably as when we release this, childeberg.com is not available because I'm redoing the website. It's, it should be much nicer oh, fantastic. <laughs> in the future, but it's down right now because I took it down uh, to try to get the um, – to try to get crypto donations available and also a better newsletter subscription. Cause I know some people are kind of confused about how to sign up for the newsletter. Um, if you're interested in signing up for the newsletter, just go ahead and email us at tasting or tasting anarchy at gmail.com. And, uh, I'll, I'll manually add you to the newsletter, but, uh, maybe, well, maybe by the time this episode airs, uh, it'll be back up on the website. So go over to childerberg.com and just check. If it's not available there, you can either uh, message me at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter or message me at Childerberg on Twitter or email me directly, um, tastinganarchy at gmail.com, and I'll sign you up for the Childerberg newsletter because we do have stuff coming out on a monthly basis for the most part, uh, just giving information about what's going on with Childerberg. And uh, I would love to see all of you there. I think it's going to be a really big event this year. Uh, i got great guests lined up. We've got some really cool stuff going on. And, um, just, yeah, keep stay, stay tuned for, uh, future updates and also sign up for the newsletter for future updates. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that's it. So stay free, stay free, everybody.